0: Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Uh, We are in the second week of a series uh, for Advent called Hope and Joy. Uh, as you may know, hope and joy are two of the four Advent themes, uh, but rather than covering all the Advent themes this year, we're diving in a little bit closer uh, on these two themes. Uh, because the reality is, is we need a little bit of hope and we need a little bit of joy in the middle of our own mess and the, own, and the craziness of our world. And so last week we began by uh, doing an introduction to hope, and what we talked about is we learned that uh, Christianity is to ground uh, our hope uh, in the kingship of Jesus Christ. Uh, That as Christians, as the people of God, our hope is not grounded in the accumulation of things, our uh, our hope is not grounded in the security of the borders around our home or land, uh, but rather our security is found in the kingship of Christ who is sovereign over all of the nations. Uh, But we also uh, took some time to talk about doubt um, and how doubt and uncertainty It doesn't have to mean a loss of faith and hope, but can actually be part of the journey toward greater hope uh, and a deeper joy. And so as we continue our journey uh, together of discovering more about hope and joy in the midst of our own stuff and the world's mess, I invite you this morning to turn to Philippians chapter 3. This is a message that's going to serve as a bit of a bridge for us Uh, As we kind of move from talking about hope this week to move to talking about joy next week, this will be a a bit of a bridge. But Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 through 21, uh, you can click there, you can look at the screens, you can turn there if you'd like. Uh, But I do ask those who are able uh, to stand for the reading of God's word, and uh, as has become our uh, custom, uh, go ahead and stand, that's right. Don't be shy. (laughs) Uh, After I'm done reading, I'm going to say this is the word of God for the people of God, to which I invite you to respond uh, with a loud and bold thanks be to God. But let's read Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse uh, 15. The heading here in most of your Bibles will probably be following Paul's example. Uh, It says this, all of us then who are mature uh, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too uh, God will make clear to you but only let us live up to what we have already attained. So join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as often as I have told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Uh, Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And then verse 20, the, the verse I want to key in on today, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will one day transform our lowly bodies so that they will be made like his glorious body. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Be to God. Amen. There's a section in this uh, passage of Scripture uh, that says, uh, beginning with verse 18, For I, as I have told you before, and I'll tell you again, even with tears, many as live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. They set their minds on earthly things. Uh, we have to be careful with this passage. Uh, the younger version of myself probably uh, would want to say about this passage something like this. Uh, church, there are terrible sinners out there, uh, but thanks be to God that you or I are not one of them, and so we get to go to heaven when we die. Uh, and so don't worry about me, and I won't worry about you, because we are just passing through. <laughs> You've probably heard that said before. Uh, thankfully, I'm not, my, I'm not the younger version of myself anymore. <laughs> Uh, What this passage is is really doing, and I I admit that I'm getting a bit to the punchline here real early, but what this passage is really doing is contrasting two different ways of life. Uh, The first way of life stands at odds with the purposes of God. And I I think this is important for us to realize that as we go about the craziness called life and as we go about this gift called life, the reality is is there there are are two ways before us. In one way, it stands at odds against the purposes of God. And Paul's point in this verse 18 and 19 is this, that those who live in this way will be driven mostly by what feels good at the time. Their, their lives will be driven mostly by what feels good at the time. And when you do that, you turn your desire into a God that is really to be obeyed at any and all costs. That's, in fact, at least part of what he means when he says that their God is their stomach. But he wants to warn us that this way of life will not satisfy us, not for long, and it certainly won't fulfill us, at least not for long. And the real warning is actually that when we live in this way, at odds against the purposes of God, his warning to us is that it will ultimately lead to our own destruction. That is to say that that sin has its own consequence built in walking in the ways of sin does, in many ways does not require God to sort of actively bring a judgment against the sin, but rather uh, a lot of what God is doing in Scripture throughout is, is as we walk in the ways of sin and, and, our, and our hearts become determined in that way, God often responds by saying, okay, I'll let you have your way. And he lifts his hand of protection and then the sin plays itself out in our lives. Uh, Many theologians believe that this is what the scripture talks about when it talks about the judgment of God, The judgment of God is not a Zeus-like character with a lightning bolt ready to strike anyone who he sees sinning, but rather the judgment of God is God lifting his protective hand uh, and allowing sin to have its way in our lives. And I think that that there's at least evidence of that in this passage, that uh, that walking in the ways of sin walking in the in ways that are at odds with the purposes of God will ultimately lead then to our own destruction but thanks be to God there is another way that is made available to us And Paul uses a particular kind of language to articulate this way of life, this alternative way uh, to living at odds with the purposes of God. And he says the second way of life is a life lived as a citizen of heaven. And he says, these citizens are eagerly awaiting a savior who rules over all of creation to come and to fully establish his rule. And his power is strong enough to overcome death so that even our own bodies will be resurrected. Uh, Let me say that again, that, that the second way of life is a life lived as a citizen of heaven. And these citizens are eagerly awaiting a savior to come and to fully establish his rule over all of the nations and all of the world. And this savior, this king, this ruler has power enough to overcome death. He did that by way of his own resurrection, but he wants to share his power with us to the degree that he will raise up even our own bodies so that we participate in in the resurrection with him, are you with me now? <laughs> oh, that's good news. You see, for these folks, for these citizens of heaven, hope is that our hope is not that we will someday float out of here, but rather that one day God will come. Our hope is not that they will exist forever as souls in a disembodied heaven in the sky, but rather their hope is that they will live re-embodied in a world in which Christ the Messiah fully rules and fully reigns. Hope for these citizens of heaven is not that they will one day be finally off the hook if they are just patient enough to wait through the hell of the current age, but rather hope for these citizens of heaven is that they will be one day invited to rule over creation as co-rulers with Christ as ones who have been invited into to participate in the kingship of Christ as stewards of the rule of Christ in the world. That is to say that as God has built his image in them, they are then to re-image that to the world like a mirror. This is good news. Now, I'm not winning very many points for subtlety, Uh, But what I'm trying to do is to reverse any version of the gospel that you've heard where hope is framed as escape, and in fact, supplant that and replace it with a truer version of the gospel where our hope is bodily resurrection into God's new world, where we serve as stewards of God's rule over all of creation. Uh, That's what I'm trying to do, and as I've said, I'm not winning very many points for subtlety. Uh, because I want, to make, I want to make sure that we understand the, the, the foundation of Christian hope. Last week we said in our introduction that the foundation of our hope is the kingship of Christ, that, that Christ is sovereign over all of the world, that he has established this, this kingly rule, this thing called the kingdom of heaven that we hear about all the time in the gospels, particularly the gospel of Matthew. Matthew. But we want to take that one step further and and rather say that if we play that out and if we begin to understand the implications of that, then all of a sudden the gospel doesn't so much become about uh, getting out of here or escaping this place or disengaging, but rather the gospel becomes all about uh, Christ coming here to fully establish that rule, us participating in that rule and being invited into that, and, and us participating even at the level of the resurrection of our own bodies modeled after the resurrection uh, of Christ. And so uh, we need to understand the nature of Christian hope. And so uh, let me summarize it this way. This is Christian hope. It's new creation, not just heaven. Uh, It's resurrection, not disembodiment. It's resurrection, not disembodiment. Now, over the years, I've spent actually quite a bit of time uh, developing this idea from the pulpit. If you've been around here for any amount of time, you've probably heard me say something like that again and again and again, and you're probably thinking now, oh, here he goes again. Uh, with all of that hope and resurrection and new creation stuff. Well, if you're anything like me, uh, you need to be reminded of that every now and then. So trust me, I don't feel bad about saying it again because I forget my own sermon. So I don't have very high expectations for how much you remember. Uh, And and so I I need to remind myself and I want to remind you, uh, but I've spent quite a bit of time over the years developing this. And and you can go back and listen to any number of podcasts, perhaps I should as well. Uh, But In particular, we've done multiple series through the book of Revelation where we really developed this idea. But this is not my task this morning. My task this morning is I want to focus on this interesting phrase that Paul uses to describe the hope of people walking in the ways of God. And that is that he uses this phrase, citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. Um, if, if all we do is sort of take all of our own opinions or understandings or uh, preconceived notions and then read them into the scripture, uh, then we would, when we read a phrase like citizens of heaven, what we probably will immediately understand is Paul is assuring them, hey, you will go to heaven when you die. Uh, that any talk of heaven, largely for the, the modern and postmodern American church, almost 100% deals with the afterlife as we, as we read into it. And so when we say, you, but you are citizens of heaven, uh, as I said, my younger self probably would have said, thank God I'm not one of those terrible sinners and I get to go to heaven when I die because I'm a citizen of heaven. Uh, but we need to ask really important questions about what Paul is actually trying to do and what he actually means when he says that. Now, as I hope that you'll understand by now, it is certainly not my opinion that when Paul says citizen in heaven, he, uh, he does not mean that I get to go to heaven when I die. But I would submit to you this morning that rather citizenship is Paul's way of speaking about a way of life and how we are to act. Uh, this is uh, in a book called Philippians. Uh, it was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Philippi is a Roman colony. Uh, what that means is it's a, it's a place where it's under Roman rule, but it's not in Rome. Uh, it's not in prop Rome proper within the city limits. It's, a, it's a, a satellite campus of Rome. And as such, there are soldiers that have fought for Rome, uh, but there are also uh, well, lots of non-Romans, people who aren't from there and, and don't participate in that culture. But it is a Roman colony. And so the, ro- the role of those Romans living in Philippi outside of the city was to bring Roman culture to bear in Philippi. Uh, they were called to, uh, we'll say that again, make sure we understand this. They were called to bring Roman culture to bear right where they were in Philippi. And if we understand that and we we sort of switch our mind around, so we're not so much thinking about all uh, of the afterlife when we hear the term heaven, but rather understand citizenship in heaven, uh, being that Paul may be saying that you are to bring the culture of heaven to bear right where you are, uh, we might then see that Paul is, in fact, saying something like this. Since your citizenship is in heaven remember to bring the culture of heaven wherever you are while you await for the coming of the Lord and the resurrection of your body. Does that make sense? Now since or because you are citizens of heaven, remember to bring the culture of heaven to bear right where you are as you await for the appearing of the king and the resurrection of your body. That's a good, that's a good word. Not just back then, but that's a good word now right? I mean, I feel like I could almost be done with a sermon. I mean, if I just say that with, if I said that with enough gusto and none of you knew that I was ripping off Paul in Philippians, there'd probably be a whole bunch of amens like, oh man, that guy's a good preacher, (laughs) right? Right? Because it's a good word. What the church needs is we need to understand we're so wrapped up in afterlife issues and that's a good thing. We have hope for a blessed afterlife, amen, right? But can we also begin to understand that part of what Paul is doing is he's trying to pull us into the present and say your citizenship is in heaven and so bring the culture of heaven to bear right in the middle of that workplace that you don't like so much. Right in the middle of those neighbors in that neighborhood. Or, dare we say it, right in the middle of the church. (laughs) It's like this. Um, In Kampala, Uganda, we had the opportunity to visit last September. Uh, This September, I guess, like we just got back, so a couple months ago. Um, In Kampala, Uganda, there are pockets of the city uh, that are clearly for Western expats or expatriates. You know what an expatriate is? It's someone uh, living in a country that is not their own. And so in Kampala, Uganda, there are are pockets of the city that are clearly designed for Western expatriates. Uh, So let me contrast these two ideas. In the city center... Uh, if you were in downtown Kampala, it's a huge city. The traffic is absolute bananas. If you think the traffic is bad as you're going from Fort Collins to I-25 down to Denver, uh, you do not know bad traffic. I mean, Kampala is absolute bananas. Um, three-lane highways are turned into six-lane highways. Uh, pe- like trucks driving on the sidewalk. Uh, pedestrians walking in the midst of all of that mess. I mean, it is absolutely craziness. Um, in the city center, in downtown Kampala, where African culture is prominent, you can go to restaurants like Shaka Zulu. And if you go to Shaka Zulu, you can order uh, goat palau. I've got a picture of goat palau. Uh, Jeremy, you want to pull that up? Here's a, here's a dish. Nope, that's not it. That's goat palau. What goat palau is, is uh, it's, it's a dish of goat meat Uh, rice, uh, pinto beans, and uh, matoke. Matoke is a very green banana that is uh, smashed to the consistency of mashed potatoes. And then in the middle, there's some chicken broth, uh, which you can dip the matoke in because matoke has no taste. Uh, There's no taste to Matoke, it is just calories in your body to fuel this thing, right? Uh, And so you can go there, you get Goat Palau, and there is is free-flowing passion fruit juice at Shaka Zulu. But the thing is, is that if you were to ask um, the folks at Shaka Zulu if they have any gluten-free options... For example, they would look at you with the most confused look on their face. And first of all, they wouldn't know quite what it is. Um, and when they don't know quite what it is, uh, they, you would say, uh, well, it's no bread. And then they would look at you like you have really lost your mind that you can't eat bread. So that's Shaka Zulu in the city center. Now, outside of the city center, uh, in the land of Western expats, uh, you can go to a restaurant called Holy Crepe. I am not making this up. I promise you, I'm not making this up. It's a real restaurant in Kampala, Uganda. It's named Holy Crepe. Uh, at Holy Crepe, you can, uh, it serves crepes and waffles in sweet or savory varieties. You can get chai tea lattes or white mochas. And if you ask them if they offer gluten-free waffles or crepes, they just ring this beautiful sound in your ear and they say everything on the menu can be made gluten-free, to which all the people said, Amen, that's right. So it's like this beautiful thing, like like tucked in the city, uh, outside of the city, there's this pocket of, of Western culture that has come to bear right there in Kampala, Uganda, Africa. Church, can I tell you this? As citizens of heaven, we are commissioned to embody the culture of heaven right where we're at, just as if an African were to go to Holy Crape and find out that Westerners put dessert on their waffles. <laughs> and they were like, first of all, what is a waffle? And why do you put dessert on it, right? And So like a, a true African that has never been anywhere outside of their little context or their little neighborhood would go to Holy crape and find out this is how Westerners live. They put dessert on their waffles. Listen, we are to be just like that. Uh, an outpost of heaven where the ways of Jesus are, are, are we're, we're, coming, we're bringing those to bear in the middle of our very own culture that is messed up, right? And so that when people come to these little outposts of heaven called the church, then people will find that these Jesus-loving people are in fact loving, joyful, peaceful patient, self-controlled, you know, those fruit of the Spirit. And we offer forgiveness and a helping hand. And so as citizens of heaven, we are on one hand commissioned to go and to to embody the culture of heaven right where we're at. But also, church, and I want you to hear this, that as citizens of heaven, we are also invited to participate and to benefit from the hopeful message that we share That is to say, that just as an expat goes to Holy Crape to find a piece of home, so Christians in the genius of God are invited to participate in a community called the church where we can participate in the culture of heaven. And listen, if all you had was like the mission part, go and be heavenly outposts in your workplaces and in your neighborhoods and all of that, then guess what? We might get tired. But in the genius of God, God says, I want you to not just go and be outposts of the culture of heaven, but I've also created this thing called the church, which is the center of the heavenly culture, and I want you to go there on a regular basis. Every seven days sounds about right. And I want you to go there, and I want you to be filled up with hope and with joy so that you are a benefactor of and a participant in this message of hope that I have called you to share. And so if we're going to talk about hope and we're going to talk about joy and having it in the midst of our own mess and in the mess of our culture, here's a really profound thing I want to say to you. Go to church. And you're like, I'm already here. It's all the people listening via podcast that need to hear that, right? (laughs) But, but here's what, I, because it's a genius move by God, right? It's a genius move to both commission a people and send them out, but then provide them for a place to gather and to be sent. And you have to have them both. You have to have them both. And so here, here is mission. Mission is opening a holy crepe. Here's hope. Eating at a holy crepe. You get what I'm saying? Mission is go and do that thing. Open it. Provide it for other people that need it. Hope is make sure you're drinking from a well that is deep with hope. Called the church. Make sure that you go there. Because I can tell you. And I have to tell you, with my dietary restrictions, in all honesty, when we were in Africa, I didn't go, I didn't go bananas with the street vendors and I didn't eat a lot of native food. Uh, but it was really, really good to go to Holy Crepe and get a gluten free waffle <laughs> and some French fries <laughs> and a white mocha, you know? It was great. It provided that sense of, I'm home. I wonder, like like what would happen if when we gather together as a church, you just like have a sense of, this is where I belong. I'm home. I'm home. Like, knowing that there's this this beauty of what God has called us to and invited us into. Now the practical implications of this are actually all over the place, but as I've already mentioned, I think one of the main implications is that it centralizes the role of the church, that all of a sudden the church doesn't just become an accessory to the Christian life to be added at your own convenience, but rather the church is a hope fueling station on our way to new creation, Oh come on! I worked really hard on that. Let me say it again, and then like like just like at least pretend that it's really good, okay? Uh, so let me say it again: the church is a fueling station on the way to new creation. Yeah, that's right. That's good news, right? That's good. We need that. We need a fueling station on the way to new creation. It's a place to hear the word of God proclaimed, to build friendships with people that will encourage you and walk with you. It's a place to embrace the mystery of faith, right? Like church is a safe place to say, I don't have all the answers. And that's okay, but we gather around the table to proclaim Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again. And so we gather every week to refuel on hope. But I can't, I can't close this message without being honest with you. And here's the deal. Holy crepe didn't get everything right. I mean, it was, it was Western culture. That's, there's no doubt. I mean, their, their, their target market was Western expats. But can I tell you something? They didn't get everything right. They, the salt was brown, okay? The salt was brown. And, and that's not Right? You know, you're going there, and you're trying to put salt on your French fries, and you put brown salt on your French fries, and everything seems so weird and off, you know? And, and here's something else that was wrong. The, the, white, the white mocha actually tasted like coffee instead of just sugar. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if I'm going to get a white mocha, really what I want is really sugary milk, and I'm not that interested in the coffee. And so they didn't quite get everything right. And here's, here's another something that they didn't get quite right. The meal, the meal was less than $10. What is that about? I mean, if you're going to be all about Western culture, you've got to raise your prices, you know? So they didn't get everything quite right. And neither will we. Neither will we. The church won't always get the culture of heaven exactly right. In fact, if, if we're honest, there may be lots of times where we're just kind of like feeling our way in the dark of, of, of exactly, we're just trying to approximate what the culture of heaven will be like. In fact, what well, Paul says that we even see now as, as, as though it's covered by a veil, we don't see everything clearly. But just like Holy crape in Kampala, Uganda was trying to provide a, a haven for Western expats, so the church is called to provide a haven for anyone who needs hope and joy and forgiveness and mercy and a place to belong, a place to be assured of the love of God And the best that we can do is approximate that. I mean, the best that we can do is is sort of like lean into both the witness of Scripture, uh, the the tradition of the church, the the infilling and and direction of the Holy Spirit, to lean into all of those things and, and say, God, we may not get it always right, but we're leaning into just exactly what it means to be an outpost of heavenly culture in our world. And in this place. And, and you can make that as specific as you want. You could say heavenly outpost in the world. Heavenly outpost in the United States. In Colorado. In Fort Collins. In this neighborhood. And that's what we're trying to do. And we're not always going to do it perfectly. And the sooner we come to terms with that. The more free we will be to keep pressing in. But man, if I have found anything, it's like as soon as, you are, as soon as you cut yourself off from grace is the second you become so frustrated so quickly you don't want to do anything. And so if we as the people of God and, and you as a person of God are willing to give yourself a little bit of grace, you're not always gonna do this just exactly right, then we're gonna free ourselves up more and more to keep pressing in and keep exploring and keep listening to the Spirit. To say, God, what can we do to bring heaven to bear right here and right now? Because, as Paul says, but you are citizens of heaven. And as you are bringing the culture of heaven to bear right where you're at. And awaiting the king of all the nations to fully, to fully establish his rule. Waiting with hope that one day our own bodies will be resurrected. And so this is my invitation to you this morning. Number one, make sure that you are refueling your hope at the imperfect fueling station called the church. And then after refueling, go and open a holy crepe. Go and be an outpost of heaven right? That's what we're called to do because our world so desperately needs it. Our world so desperately needs it. And so let's do both. Let's stay in touch with our mission, but also stay connected to our hope. Amen? Amen. Let's say a word of prayer and I'll lead us to the table with long sermons and baby dedications and all of that kind of stuff. We're running out of time. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us today, for walking with us through this time together. And I pray now that you would be with us as we gather around the Lord's table. Um, may we experience your presence and your blessing. May we take in your very life as we proclaim and embody and live out the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died and Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. Lord, may this be a blessed advent for us all as we participate in the longing for your coming. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.